hey, I'm back from Costa Rica, and this time I didn't get deathly ill, so that's really good, right? No, we had a great time last week with my parents celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. And I actually was able to tune in online just for a little bit, have a picture of me on my phone. We're in a van. My sister just barely had cell phone reception, but I was able to tune in just for a little bit of last week's experience. And we want to thank Barb Marais for uh, continuing our series called Encountering Jesus. And we're going to continue it uh, today. But man, it was just such a, a great time last week down there in Costa Rica. And some of you already know this, but Levi and I are actually going back next month. I'm going to be speaking at a pastor's conference uh, down there in Costa Rica. I was, got invited uh, about six months ago or so to go down for that. So it just so happens that I'm going twice at the beginning of the year. I'm looking for 10 more excuses next year so I can go every single month of the, uh, of the year. But it's such a fantastic uh, country. Uh, just to give you just a little bit, only 0.04% of the land uh, mass of the earth is Costa Rica. You could actually fit the entire country of Costa Rica into the uh, Lake Michigan, basically. So it's, it's pretty small. But yet 5% of all of the diversity of plants and animals are found in Costa Rica. So it's just a fantastic country down there. And here's another fascinating thing for you. 1949, they got rid of their army. The government voted we're just doing away with our army. And so it's just so amazing, this country down there. And there's not a lot of dysfunction with government. I mean, they put a lot into their health care and their education. It's the most literate country in the world. 98% of all people in Costa Rica can read. Uh, so it's really, really neat when you see not the government dysfunction that you see in so many countries, including our own. Now, I'm bringing all that up because I brought up to you back in December, if you remember, I talked about the, the government uh, dysfunction in the, the Roman Empire just in the, the years before Jesus was born. And remember, we talked about how Julius Caesar was actually brutally assassinated by 70 co-conspirators. One of those was Brutus. And what made that so bad for Julius Caesar was he actually was good friends with Brutus. And you may not know this, but Julius Caesar's actual final words as Brutus stood over him to put that final dagger plunge into him was, you too, child? You too? We've all been there, right? Maybe not somebody literally stabbing us, but haven't we had the betrayal of friends sort of stabbing us in the back? And man, that hurts so bad. Maybe it was somebody that said, you know, I'm going to be there for you no matter what happens in your life. But then when you really needed them, they weren't there. Or maybe they promised to, to keep something secret, to not share it with everybody else, but yet they did. Again, it hurts when other people hurt us, but it especially hurts when it comes at the hands of somebody that's our friend. Now, interestingly enough, Jesus, he can actually relate to being hurt by his friends. And so today, as we continue our Encountering Jesus series, I want to talk to you about a very, very famous Bible story and not only what happens with somebody betraying Jesus and, and, and being hurt, or actually hurting Jesus, but then how an encounter then with Jesus actually changed everything for that person. So if you have a Bible, you want to turn to Luke chapter 22 and John chapter 21. We're going to be in two places today again, Luke chapter 22 and John chapter 21. As you're turning there, let me give you a, a little bit of context of what we're going to look at. So it's the night before Jesus is going to be crucified. And he gathers together with his disciples, 
And let's just say things in the room are a little bit weird. It's just, it's strange, the atmosphere in the room. There's sort of the, the stench of betrayal. There's the smell of fear. Uh, let me explain it to you. So Jesus has gathered everybody together, and he says, look, I'm going to die, and I'm leaving you guys. And then they have their dinner together. It's the Passover feast, and Jesus flips it upside down. Everything that they had grown up with, what the Passover was all about, Jesus says, no, we're doing away with all that because it's my body and my blood that's going to be the new covenant. The old covenant is going to be gone. And then Jesus says, you know what? One of you is going to betray me. And then in the midst of all that, the disciples, they get in an argument with each other. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It's in the midst of all that that Jesus looks at him and said, look, it's, it's those that, that love and, and serve other people. Those are going to be the great ones. And then he looks immediately at Peter, and he says this to him in Luke 22, verses 31 to 32. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Now, anytime we're reading scripture, it's easy to look at a couple verses like this and just say, okay, well, that's sort of what happened. And you just sort of go on to the next part. But there is so much to unpack in just these couple verses. So let me give you just a couple things that I, I took out of it. First of all, Jesus wouldn't have said, Simon, Simon. I've shared this with you in the past. Both Greek and Hebrew don't have punctuation. And so if you want to emphasize something as a writer, you didn't have an exclamation point like we do. So what would they do? They'd actually repeat the word. So Jesus didn't say, Simon, Simon. He would have just said, Simon. So it would have been louder, right? Or, or maybe he wasn't louder. Maybe he said it in the same way that my mother did when, you know, I was growing up, you know, Gilbert Dennis Thurston III, right? So... <laughs> You know, regardless of what's happening here, what, what we're trying to see is that, that Jesus has gotten Peter's attention here. Now, I find it interesting that Jesus actually speaks to Peter about this, saying that it's Satan that wants to tempt you, that Satan wants to sift you like wheat. Now, the reason I say that is, and again, I've shared this with you, there's 12 disciples, but there was three that Jesus was especially close with, Peter, James, and John. And as you know, John was the one that he was actually the closest with, that he was best friends with John. However, it was Peter who had risen up to a position of leadership. And so you would think that Satan would want to go after the weakest link in the 12. But no, Satan's going after the leader. Now, why would he want to do that? Why would he go after Peter like that? Well, it's very simple. Satan knows if he can get the leader to fall, all the rest of the dominoes will fall as well. Now, I think there's actually a second reason that Satan wants to go after Peter, and that is because he's pretty sure that Peter's only team Jesus because things are going really well. He's like, you know what? Things are going well, but let me bring just a little bit of adversity in. Let me bring just a little bit of temptation in, and he's not going to be team Jesus any longer. And isn't that a temptation for us as well? I mean, it's easy to follow Jesus when your bills are paid, when your family's all healthy, when your car's running. 
But what's your faith like when things start to go a little bit south? That's the real test. And so Satan wants to tempt Peter in the same way he wanted to tempt Job. He's like, look, Job's got all this blessing on his life. Man, you take that away, he'll curse you, God. So Satan's trying to do the exact same thing here with Peter. Now, there's a third thing here that Jesus is doing in these two verses, and that is he's being prophetic. He basically says, look, Peter, your faith is going to fail, but you will repent of it. And when you've repented of it, I want you to use that to strengthen and encourage your brothers. So those are three things that I took away from that. But actually, there's a fourth thing, and it's actually the most important words in the entire two verses. Did anybody pick up on what I've left out so far? It's five words from Jesus. Jesus says, I have prayed for you. What an encouragement that should have been to Peter, that in the midst of all this, Jesus says, but I have prayed for you. And that should be an encouragement to you as well, that Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for me. But you know what? Peter misses the prayer. He misses the prophetic because Peter is full of pride. Jesus says, this is what Satan's going to try to do, but look at what Peter says in verse 33. Peter says, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. In other words, Jesus, you're wrong. Jesus, have, have you forgotten who I am? I'm not Simon anymore. I'm Peter. You're the one that gave me that name. I'm Peter the rock on which you're going to build the church. I will die for you. I'll go to prison for you. Peter's overconfident. He thinks that he knows more than Jesus. That's our mistake so often, isn't it? We think we know more than what Jesus does. We forget what the, the writer in Proverbs said, that we're to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge him, and he will make our paths straight. We forget that. We're like, yeah, 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 everybody else needs that word from God, but, but not me. It doesn't apply to me. I can handle it. I've got it under control. And that's where Peter's at. He's so full of pride that he's blinded to it. Then we read this in verse 34. Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Now, Jesus is just a couple hours from his death, and he begins to feel the weight and the pressure of the moment. And so he does what you and I should do anytime we're starting to, to feel overwhelmed. He says to his friends, hey, let's pray together. And so they go out into the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus says, all right, let, let's start to pray. And so Jesus bows down to pray. So do the disciples. And we read that Jesus is, is praying these very fervent prayers, very intense and when he opens his eyes after he's done praying, he looks around and all the disciples are sound asleep, including Peter. 
And so he goes up to Peter and he says, Peter, you just told me that you'd be willing to, to go to prison for me, that you'd be willing to die for me, but yet you can't even pray for me? You're falling asleep? Peter, you better be aware. You better be aware, man. Satan wants you to fall into temptation. Later on, this lack of praying is going to bite Peter in the butt because two more times Jesus is going to start to pray. And two more times the disciples all fall asleep. But then suddenly Jesus is arrested. And if you know the story, Peter picks up his sword, he lops the guard's ear off, and Jesus like, Simon, 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 Simon. <laughs> he reaches down, he picks up the ear, he pops it back on the guy's head. He's like, that's not what we're about, dude. <laughs> right? So they take Jesus away. Simon Peter, he decides, you know what? I want to see what's happening. And so I'm going to follow Jesus. But I'm going to follow at a distance. Now, literally, as we read that in Scripture, it, it, it's, it is literal that, that Peter followed at a distance to see what was going on. But wasn't that really Peter's problem all along? He had been following Jesus at a distance. He wanted all the benefits of Jesus, but yet he was sort of keeping a little bit of a distance. Oh, yeah, intellectually he said, I would die for you. I'll go to prison for you. But yet he was keeping a distance. And that's our problem many times as well. We stay too far away from Jesus instead of being right there where he's at. So Peter, he follows at a at a distance, and it's a, it's a cold night, and he's sort of observing the, the home where they've taken Jesus into to, to sort of the initial part of his trial. And Peter's like, man, chilly. Ah, oh, there's a fire over there. He, he gets smell of the, the, the fire, and so he makes his way over, and, and he, he's standing there, and he's sort of warming himself by the fire. And a young girl says to him, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? Peter's like, no, me? No, no, not me. I I don't even know the guy. Now, the first time, we should cut Peter a little slack here. Because maybe he was just caught off guard by the question. No, he he wasn't prepared for somebody to ask that question. So we'll cut him a little bit of slack here. But what we're going to read is that over the next couple hours, two more times, Peter is going to deny that he even knows Jesus. The first time could have been a mistake. But the second two times, they were conscious decisions. And it's at that third time that it happens, they were leading Jesus out of the house. And somebody says, hey, aren't you you one of Jesus' followers? No, I don't even know that guy. And we read this in Luke 22, 60 to 62. While he, meaning Peter, was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and then Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him, that before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went outside, and he wept bitterly. Peter had swore that he'd be willing to go to prison for Jesus, that he'd be willing to die for Jesus, but he was just fooling himself. He had been living at a distance from Jesus 
and now he knows it. And see, we, we've got to be careful of the same thing. We live at a distance from Jesus, we'll end up denying Jesus as well. Maybe for you, the, the way it looks is, you know, you, you say you love Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, but yet your lifestyle is nothing like Jesus. You say that you love Jesus with everything that you have, but yet the way you're treating people, it's nothing like Jesus. Or maybe your denial will look like this. You get an opportunity, and I mean, it's just such a, a clear opportunity to share your faith with somebody. It's obvious that God has orchestrated this. This door is wide open for you to just walk right through it. But yet you keep your mouth shut. Don't say a thing. Or maybe your denial of, of Jesus is there's something in the, in the world, or maybe even just in Harrisburg or your community at your workplace, that you know that you have the gifts and the skills and the resources to do something to take care of that problem. You have it. But yet you decide not to do it because you're afraid of what other people may think about you. And just like Peter, you have denied Jesus. Now again, we're in this series called Encountering Jesus, and I really think that there's two encounters that we find in the story. The first encounter is Peter has an encounter with his pride. That's the first one. And we read that once he encounters his pride, he understands what he has done. He weeps bitterly. Peter thinks that he's a failure. He thinks that there's nothing that can be done for him, that there's no coming back from this. And then to make matters worse, just a couple hours after this whole thing, he watches as Jesus is hung on a cross and then buried in a tomb. Peter thinks that the whole last three and a half years, it's just done. He's a failure. Yes, he's the leader of this group, but he's like, it's over. And so he returns back to his old life of being a fisherman. But then Jesus rises again from the dead, and Peter is so excited. He, he runs to the tomb. He's excited about it. And he encounters Jesus, but yet inside, he still is weeping bitterly. Maybe on the outside, he's not, but inside, he feels defeated. Yes, Jesus has risen again from the dead, but instead of saying, okay, mission back on, here we go, boys, let's go, Peter continues to just fish. He's returned back to that old lifestyle. And that's what we do so often. We, we make mistakes. We think that we've let God down in some way, and we're like, I just give up. I'm going back to my old lifestyle, my old habits, my old patterns, the old sins. So Peter, he's out. He's fishing. And they're sort of bringing the, the boat in in the morning. And out on the beach, they, they spot a guy. He's, He's around a fire. The guy's like, hey, did you catch anything? Not a lot of luck. Let your net down over the side. As Peter does. All of a sudden, there's this huge haul of fish. And immediately, Peter knows that it's Jesus because 
this is the second time Jesus has done the same miracle for Peter. Peter instantly recognizes this is Jesus. So he jumps out of the boat, he swims to the shore, he runs up. Now he wants to be close to Jesus, but yet he still feels defeated, but he just wants to be in the presence of Jesus. Jesus says, hey, give, give, me a couple, give me a couple of those fish. Let me make you some breakfast here. I mean, it's not like Jesus didn't have a lot of other things to do, right? Now he's like master chef as well, right? So he's like, he's there and he, he's cooking. And I've got to wonder, again, this isn't in Scripture, but I've got to wonder what happened for Peter in that moment. Did you know that our nose is the most sensitive thing that we have? We can differentiate over a thousand different smells, and that it's smells that are the thing that most trigger different memories that we have from the past. You know what I'm talking about, right? There's sometimes you smell like a certain, like, type of cookie and it brings you back to your grandma's house. Or maybe there's a certain funkiness of smell that brings you back to your grandma's house. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? You just have things that like trigger memories. To, to me, uh, the girl that I was dating before, Lisa, I, I'm such a sports fan. I love sports. And I was like, I want to date an athletic girl. And so I started dating a very athletic girl. But then I would go over to her house after she got home from practice, and she reeked of Bengay. And I was like, I don't want to date an athletic girl anymore. But still to this day, like any time I smell Bengay, it's like, oh, Jill. Ugh. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Certain smells bring back just memories. And so there's Jesus. He's cooking Peter breakfast. <laughs> The smoke from the fire. Did it bring Peter back to just days before when he had denied knowing Jesus? And what about like eating chicken, right? Did that, did that bring it back for Peter? I mean, man, it's just bringing all these old feelings back. These thoughts that he had of how he had let Jesus down, of his inadequacy. But now Jesus is about to give Peter an encounter with him that not only is going to change Peter, but it's ultimately going to change all of human history. So we read that in John 21, 15. After breakfast... Jesus said, well, actually, before we even uh, read that, I know they already got it on the screen for you, but let me just say this. This is a passage of Scripture. You've heard it preached many, many times, and I've preached it many times. I've heard it preached many times, and I've made the mistake that where I've heard it preached so many times, I just trusted others. That's why I say, never trust the preacher. Always check it out for yourself. But I made the mistake. I just trusted others that I had heard preached this so many times that they were saying the same thing, or the, the right thing. But I went back and I actually looked at this, and I was like, whoa, wait a second. This is not what we've always been taught. And it's actually better than what we've been taught. So here, here it is, John 21, 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you what? Do you 
Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Now here's where we get this one wrong. You probably already know this, but there's more than one way that, uh, or more than one Greek word that we translate into English as love. Okay? What Jesus asked Peter here initially is, do you agape me? Agape is the highest form of love. It's a God-like love. It's like full in. I'm all in. I'm all committed. That's the type of love that God has for you. He's all in to the point that Jesus ultimately would die for us, right? That shows all in. So Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? Are you all in? Are you fully committed for me? But Peter replies, yes, Lord, you know that I philos you. Now, philos is where we get brotherly love from, like the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. Congratulations, by the way, whatever. But anyway, um, philos. So Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I really need you to get this because the way you hear it always taught is that Jesus says, do you philos? And then he says it again, do you philos? And then the last time he says, do you agape me? That's how everybody else teaches it. Or at least I've ever heard it taught. But we've gotten it wrong. Jesus starts out with, do you agape me? And Peter says, of course I philos you. And then Jesus says, well then, which one does he do first? Lambs or sheep? Which one's it say? I, my eyes are getting bad. What's it say? Lambs. Lambs, okay. It's like Jesus gives a promotion to Peter here. He asks, are you all in? Peter's like, yeah, here's where I'm at. And Jesus' is like, okay, then go do this for me. Again, it's like he's giving him a promotion. It's sort of weird. He didn't give the perfect answer. But yet that's what Jesus does. Look at verse 16 then. Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Are you all in? Are you fully committed? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know that I philos you. Same thing. Jesus is asking, are you all in? Do you love me with the love of God? And Peter says, of course I love you with a brotherly love. But yet again, Jesus gives him somewhat of a promotion because he says, take care of my sheep. Verse 17, a third time Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. This time, things change. And really, this is what the gospel is all about. Because the third time that Jesus asked the question, he says, Peter, do you philos me? Peter says, of course, Lord, you know that I philos you. In other words, Jesus is like, look, if you can't come up to me, then I'm going to come down to you. And that's what the gospel 
is all about. That's what we just celebrated at Christmas. That we can never be like God. We never can attain to the level of God. We can never be perfect like he is. And so what did he do? God became one of us. And he lived the perfect and sinless life that we could never live. And then he died on the cross for the life that we are living. That's good news. And you see now why I say that this is actually a better, (laughs) when we actually look at the Greek of this, that it's better than the way you've heard it taught in the past? God came to our level so that he could relate to us. And he shows us a better way. And so that's what happens for Peter here. He's forgiven. And Peter knows it. Despite his pride, despite his failure. And Jesus says, look, not only am I forgiving you, but I'm giving you a promotion. I want you to go out. I want you to make a difference. And the same is true for you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done in your life, Jesus wants to forgive you, and Jesus wants you to make a difference here in Harrisburg or down in Hagerstown or wherever you're tuning in all around this world. Did Peter go on to fulfill that? You better believe he did. Peter makes a difference. He leads thousands of people in a relationship with Jesus. Peter, he goes on, he writes two of the New Testament books. Peter goes on to be the leader that Jesus had called him to be. And that's why I say that this encounter actually changed all of human history. You and I would not be sitting here if it wasn't for Peter having this encounter and living up to his potential. He becomes that leader that Jesus wanted him to be. Amazing. Now, I could end the message there, but I'm not. Because I want to end with a different thought. Here's the question. How often does a rooster crow? What was it? Every single day. Rooster crows every single day. And so I got to, again, wonder, every single day, did Peter hear that and go back and think of his betrayal and his denial of Jesus? And I mentioned it earlier, what, what about every time he, he, he tasted chicken? Did that remind him? What about the, the smell of the smoke? Did that remind him of his failures? Did it get him back into that sense of inadequacy? I think it's just the opposite. I think that every time he heard the rooster crow, every time he would eat chicken, every time that he would smell that smoke, it was actually a reminder to him of God's amazing grace. It just reminded him of what Jesus had done for him. That yes, I let him down. Yes, I denied him. But oh my goodness, he loves me. He loves me. And I want to say the same thing to you. Satan wants to come into your life and he wants to remind you of all your past failures. But I want you to be reminded of something that that Peter would have been reminded of by his good friend Paul. Paul writes this in Romans 8.1. 
there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Listen, in your life, Satan is going to try to remind you of all the times that you've let Jesus down, all the times that you've sinned, all the times that, you know, you've, you've denied Jesus or, or messed up for Jesus, all the times that you were prideful or, or that you doubted. That's what Satan's going to try to do. He's going to try to condemn you and bring you back to your past. But every time that Satan reminds you of your past, you just remind him of his future. We win. We win. And every time he tries to do that, be reminded of the amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you became one of us. When we couldn't attain your level, you came to our level, you became one of us, and you did for us what we could never do. And you lived that perfect and sinless life in the form of Jesus. Jesus, you willingly then went to the cross to die in our place so that our sins could be forgiven. But it's not just about forgiveness of sin. You give us the power over sin, and your spirit then gives us a power to go out and, and together to make a difference for you. And so, Lord, help us to learn from Peter's encounter that, yes, things look dark on Friday, but just a couple days later, you're having breakfast on the beach, and Jesus is restoring you, forgiving you, giving you a new mission to go out and to change the world. So, Lord, I pray for everybody that's here, everybody that's watching online as well, that no matter what they've done in the past, you wouldn't allow Satan to defeat them. That right now they would pray and ask for your forgiveness, whether it's for the first time or for the thousandth time. Lord, we confess our sins to you. You said that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness, to separate our sins as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered anymore. And so, Lord, I, I pray that we would not live in condemnation, but we would live empowered by your Spirit to go out and make a difference with this one and only life that we've been given. Help us to spread this good news to as many people as possible. That you love us. You came to save us. And to use us to make a difference. Thank you, Jesus, that you used me. You're using the people here. You're using the people online to make a difference for you. Help our impact just continue to grow exponentially. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.